it's a, it's a rotation that, if they're all healthy, would give them a chance to win every postseason game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week in Atlanta by the great D.O.B. himself, Dave O'Brien, the Braves beat writer for The Athletic and longtime baseball writer. Such a longtime baseball writer, we go way back to Florida, right? Knowing each other? Though you didn't know me, but I, I definitely knew you. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably one of the few you talk to that's been doing it longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> See, that keeps coming up. Hey, I, I just want to start like just by jumping right into it with by telling you a quick story. So I'm on the field as the Braves last year are celebrating the World Series championship. There's confetti everywhere. They're passing around the trophy around, everything like that. Snickers um, celebrating. Freeman is being asked about being a free agent. All that's going on. And one member of the, uh, I believe it was of the front office, maybe ownership, um, came up to me and he goes, see, this is why all you have to do is get in. If you get in, anything is possible. Yeah. And that, I, I'm struck by that because so many fans with the Cardinals and I'm sure fan bases, they want moves that make October a given, but that's not how it works. Right. And aren't the Braves an example of that? Absolutely. I mean, there's been a couple of times, uh, several times actually in the time I've covered them since Oh two that, that they had teams that they thought were the best team or at least as good as any other team. Uh, in the league, and they didn't even get to the World Series. And then last year, they had a team that did literally did not get over 500 until August. Mm-hmm. I mean, until St. We Louis. Yeah, we were we were in the what second week of August before we got over 500. Uh, the date on that actually changes because of this strange MLB rule where when you complete a suspended game, mm. you revert your record reverts, and that. So, so technically, the Braves got over 500 earlier than they actually did because they had a they had a game that they completed from uh, early in the season, like June. They completed it in September, late September. So when they did, they added a win to the record earlier. So anyway, but to get back to uh, St. Louis, um, yeah, it wasn't you know until they swept that series in St. Louis last year where the pieces started to kind of fit together and things started clicking and, and, you know, they started hitting at the same time that they were pitching and all this. And, and it really, the, the kind of the impetus for it was a series of, of trades that Alex made in July. And these were not trades that anybody around baseball thought were going to vault the Braves to the postseason to, to, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to even, winning the division, much less getting to, to the playoffs and, and plowing through uh, the Dodgers and and uh, and winning the uh, World Series. I mean, they were a series of relatively um, low-level trades. I mean, they traded for Jock Peterson coming out of the All-Star break because they had just lost Ronald Acuna two days before the break. So there was a kind of a desperation trade. They needed to do something just to kind of show the players and, you know, and, and, and not fall any farther back and show the players we're not waving the white flag. So they traded for Jock Peterson because the Cubs were ready. You know, they had already fallen out of it and were ready to move him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on a one-year deal there. So they traded for him, and they traded for uh, uh, Vote, the catcher from the Diamondbacks, which right. was, was, was one of those trades that was everybody's like, 
why? You know, that was literally the response was why. <laughs> but Alex knew that he had a, he was a great guy in a clubhouse. He knew Jock Peterson provided a team with a kind of an edge, and and you know he was a he was a different different cat, but but he's got that edge to him and that and obviously the ton of postseason experience. So Alex makes all that every deal he makes he makes with clubhouse in mind. Without, I mean, every single deal, it has to be somebody that's going to fit in the clubhouse, not disrupt whatever they've got going. Or in the case of Peterson, will add something to the clubhouse, like he did with Josh Donaldson a few years ago. Um, but so they made that trade; those trades coming out of the uh, All Star break, and then at the uh, deadline, they traded for Eddie Rosario, who was on the IL at the time with Cleveland. Adam Duvall, who everybody from the Braves had known because they had him previous year when he when he was in the short season when he was really good, uh, and who had continued to kill the Braves with the Marlins. But again, it's Adam Duvall. Nobody's thinking, you know, that's the biggest guy on the market or anything. It's more of a uh, bring him back, see if he can help. You know, he loves playing here and all that. Uh, and then Jorge Soler, who was hitting under 200 at the time for the Royals, but who had led the AL in home runs a couple years before that. And mm. Brave scouts had seen Jorge Soler. I had watched some video of him in the week or two before the trade deadline and saw that he was really kind of getting it together. He hit like nine homers in, in a span of two weeks or something, or you know, 15 games or something, um, something like that. It was crazy. And, and, uh, but he was hitting a lot better and he still though, he was hitting under 200 at, with the Royals. And again, nobody around baseball thought this was, this was a trade that was going to get the Braves uh, really jumpstart them or anything. It was kind of, yeah. okay. Why did you trade for three outfielders after trading for Jock Peterson? So we're like, okay, now you got more outfielders than you need, but they completely revamped their outfield in July, completely. And also did a ton in the clubhouse with those additions. And when things started clicking, uh, that all played into it. And the clubhouse was great. And the clubhouse never faltered during, even when they struggled to stay, when they were below 500 all that time. Yeah, it, it was just they were more than anything. I think that the Braves of the last couple of years have been a testament to the value of team chemistry because they never would have made the t- the, uh, the the playoffs last year and won another division title if they didn't have great chem- team chemistry and stayed together through, through it all. The Cardinals did something similar with pitching, right? They go and like you described with the outfield, the, the Cardinals went and kind of reworked their pitching staff in July um, and in some ways did a lot of things similar to the Braves where they got guys who you're like, well, how are they going to help them? Or yeah. guys who were not um, having their best seasons, um, guys who were kind of down right. in Lester and Hap. And Wade LeBlanc um, was a little bit earlier. But, you know, guys who just, you know, he, he, they could be had for trades. Um, and the Cardinals ended with more wins last season than the Braves. Yep. So is the takeaway from that do something, don't do nothing, do something, anything, and maybe even do it in quantity like the Braves did, and then try to find just one entry into October. And is that even more necessary uh, now with um, with the fact that you open yeah. October with a series? Yeah, last year was a was a smaller playoff field. So right. the, Braves knew, the Braves knew they had to win the division pretty much. At the time they were making those uh, deals. Great point. There was they, they looked like there was no way the wild card was going to come out of the East at the time. I mean, it was like, they're going to have to win the division if they're going to do this. And the Braves also were conscious of the fact they did not believe Alex Anthopoulos, fully respect, full respect for the Mets, but did not believe that was a team that was 
not uh, that they they couldn't reel them in. They did not believe, and the Mets had a history. Let's face it, of 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 imploding in recent years and falling apart. And nobody really thought they had great team chemistry last year. You know that if they, a couple of things went wrong, they might go south, and they did. And so the Braves, it wasn't a matter of just do something. They did things specifically with something in mind. And each of those guys they brought in, they thought could add something. And mm. they did. If you look at it, Jock Peterson, who was not having a great year with the Cubs, was, was viewed kind of as a platoon guy. But they thought when they brought him over here, they still thought he was going to be a platoon guy. But that he could give them, you know, he had a, he had a track record of being big in big games and big postseason games. So they thought if we do get there, he can mm. really help us. But in the meantime, we can use him as a potent uh uh, platoon bat. I come over and from day one he started hitting. So he was he was playing every day for a while until Rosario came off the IL. Um, and then you know they had four outfielders that they all that they all played. You know did huge things for the Braves down the stretch. But of the four those four outfielders I mentioned in the postseason, mm-hmm. they don't give an MVP for the for the uh, division series. But if they did, Jock Peterson would have probably won it. He hit two yeah. home runs. Yeah. Against the Brewers, uh, Eddie Rosario wins NLCS MVP. It was unbelievable against the Dodgers. If you look at his numbers, he had over 500 with power. I mean, he was the one guy Dodgers pitchers could not get out. And every time the Braves' offense stalled in that series, he in, invariably came up with a big hit. It was unbelievable, really, the postseason he had. But that series in particular, he wins the MVP. World Series MVP is Jorge Soler. So the three guys, three of the four guys they got would have been or, or were MVPs of the three postseason series. And then yeah. ball was huge down the stretch. Tons of home runs and RBIs, too. So that team comes together late in the offseason. Obviously, we all know Freddie Freeman signs with the Dodgers. And that gets me to this week where the Braves have asserted themselves against the Cardinals. Um, as we're recording this, you're going into the fourth game of the four-game series. Could be a sweep, but they've already won the series. And they've really already sent a message that they, there's a significant gap between them and the Cardinals with the way they're playing right now. Are they a better team than they were last year? Are they closer to what they envisioned they would be last year? Um, yeah, probably closer to what they envisioned. Because last year they got an incredible role in the second half beginning in August. They're on one of those roles right now. It was hard to judge it because they played like uh, – uh, they had 29 games straight against below 500 teams, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of hard when they really got hot during that stretch. They reeled off that 14 consecutive wins. Those were against all bad teams. So it was kind of hard to gauge it at that point. But now they're doing it. They're continuing to win against good teams. They went to Philly and won a series. Now they're doing this against the Cardinals. Maybe not a great team, but a good team, obviously. Uh, a potential playoff team. And, and things are starting to click. The one thing they've had throughout – is they got some thump in that lineup, man. And and early, mm-hmm. like the first couple of months, they never had more than like two guys going at once, you know? And they were just kind of waiting to get going. Uh, uh, Marcelo Zuna was terrible early on. Dansby Swanson, the first 14 games of the season, looked like, you know, they couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Then he like flipped the switch in game 15. He has not cooled off since then. Um, Matt Olson got going. He's been a doubles machine, but he started hitting more. Austin Riley has showed that last year was not an outlier, that that is who he is now. He's a 35 to 40 home run hitter now. Uh, he got going. It was like everybody got going at once. They got Acuna. Obviously, that was huge getting him off the IL, you know, from 
finally recovered from his knee surgery a year ago. They got him back at the end of April, and he's provided a real spark at times, looked really good at times, and other times looked like he's still rusty. But the outfield defense got so much better when they got Acuna back. Mm. And uh, and then the biggest spark, if I could point to one thing, the reason when they got hot has been Michael Harris, the second dude in center field. This rookie has been huge for the Braves. They had the worst outfield defense probably in baseball for the first couple of months until they got Acuna back, but more importantly, until they put Michael Harris, the second in center, and moved Duvall to the corner where he's supposed to be. Then all of a sudden, now they've got arguably the best or as good as any outfield defense in baseball, and I have not seen a better center fielder defensively this year than Michael Harris, the second, and he's the youngest player wow. in the majors. Youngest player in the majors. He is yeah. he is superb. Got a cannon for an arm. Threw ninety three as a pitcher in high school. A lot of teams wanted him as a pitcher. Um, great speed and range instincts. He's got that Andrew Jones ability to to sprint in and make that diving catch coming towards the the infield, and like mm-hmm. make it every time. Uh, and also to get to the gaps like Andrew did. I mean, I hate comparing him to Andrew, but he's the closest thing I've seen since Andrew for the Braves. That's for sure. He's, better, he's as good or better than Pache was defensively, and he hits. This kid's hitting 300, <laughs> stealing bases, hitting line drives. He hits. He, he laces the ball, man. Not a bad guy to have batting ninth now yeah, that there's exactly. the eighth, right? Yeah, it, you gives, know, you basically, it gives you a consecutive leadoff guys, basically, who can hit, who can get on base and steal bases, dangerous guys with him and a Yeah. And in a modern lineup, a guy who gets to first right at nine and then scores from first on anything yep. hit afterwards, right? Yep. I mean, that's, yeah. that's real that's, valuable. So that's been huge for them. And then uh, uh, they've overcome, really. They had several injuries that should have decimated the bullpen, which, you know, lost Luke Jackson before spring training ended. Uh, and then you lost Tyler Matzik, who was their best reliever last year. They lost him for six weeks to shoulder impingement. They just got him back. Um, but they kept going throughout that time. You know, Colin McHugh pitched a bunch of great innings. Kenley Jackson. Kenley Jansen has been really good. He's lived up to billing. But they just put him on the I.L. like, uh, eight days ago with the irregular heartbeat. So they've kind of been able to maintain, you know, with uh, A.J. Mentor and Will Smith filling in a closer until they get Jansen back. And and uh, that de- that bullpen, again, chemistry and cohesion in that bullpen has been huge to get through this. So is Max Freed the pitcher with the best recent seasons that does not have a Cy Young award? <laughs> you could make that claim. I mean, if you look at this guy – since, uh, you know, after struggling that really early last year, had a groin and a hamstring, two, two brief IL stints. Um, since the beginning of May last year, he's been as good as any pitcher in the majors. And, and statistically, he's probably been the best pitcher in the NL, especially since uh, August. I mean, it's been he's been phenomenal, man. He, he's a. Uh, he he's since her, since the middle of last season he's really moved into that legit number one pitcher type guy that there's probably only about ten of them in baseball and he's one of them for sure. Um, you know he's doing it in a year that right now uh, Alcantara is the to me the clear front runner for Cy Young if he can stay sure. healthy and keep doing what he's doing and then Gonsolin I put if I put Freed right there with Gonsolin or right behind Gonsolin as the next guys those are the top three to me but yeah Freed is uh. The Braves need to get him re-signed before he gets much closer to free agency because he's the real thing, man. He is he's got everything you want in a uh, in an ace pitcher. The durability, 
the, the tremendous desire to win, uh, works hard, tries to get better all the time, keeps honing different pitches where now he's got a four pitch mix. They're all plus pitches. They can throw them in any, anywhere in account, you know, and of course that hammer of a curve that, mm. uh, you know, that he cut that, all this compliments of fastball that people forget this guy throws hard too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He can hump it up to 99 when he wants to watching him warm up with his long tosses and then him just like air it out from like shallow right field yeah. to the catcher in center waiting for it was something else. Um, you're right. I mean, he's got some power there. You mentioned Sandy Alcantara, the ace of the Marlins. There's freed in Atlanta. Obviously there's DeGrom and Scherzer when they're both healthy with the Mets, there's Wheeler. Nola yeah. in Philly. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals have had a hard time with both East divisions this year, but the NL East, I mean, they're, they're oh, playing the past, a stretch the pitching, of them. The pitch in the East is crazy good, man. Every team, yeah. every team's got two guys, you know, I mean, wow. look at the Marlins have got three, had three guys, you know, when all healthy that are as good as any as a one, two, three combination. Um, and then, and then the Braves, Kyle Wright this year has he's another another guy that I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. He has developed into that the guy that they picked number five overall that so many people were saying the Braves should have traded because he lost all trade value struggling in the minors and coming up and falling on his face in the big leagues. Well, this guy has suddenly transformed into that guy that was warranted a number five overall pick out of Vanderbilt, you know, four or five years ago because he's a uh-huh. stud, man. Well, that brings me back to like the question that I was asking about being October ready. Does that mean that while so much attention is going to be poured on the Dodgers and the, the Padres and the West and maybe even the American League East, certainly with the power-packed Yankees who yeah. also pitch super well, but is it possible that the NL East is going to be you know, where October's won because of the pitching in this division? If you have DeGrom and, and, and uh, sure, Max Scherzer stay healthy, which is to me is a big if because Max is as is, is great as he is, and I love him, man. I love watching him pitch. He's starting to show his age. I mean, he just Even though he went to Mizzou, right? Like you're you – know, I, I know. Mean, I look past you. that. I'm willing to okay. look past that. Right. Um, he, he's starting to break down, though, with little stuff that he never had before. You know what I mean? So you just mm-hmm. never know when he's going to kind of tweak something just out of the blue because he's, I mean, he's old. He's in his late thirties for a pitcher. He's old. He's got a ton of mileage on that arm, but he's incredible. Um, DeGrom until he shows me he can stay healthy for three months. I'm not going to believe it because he's so slender yet. He, he insists on throwing hundred miles an hour and mm-hmm. I don't think his body can take it. I agree with John Smoltz that he needs to rein it in a little bit. And cause he can be the best pitcher in baseball without doing max effort, you know, throwing hundred miles an hour at trying every fastball but sure but getting back to uh yeah i think that between them and the braves i if you ask me if this is a better team than last year i think uh what i do what i would feel more comfortable with this team going into the postseason would be the starting rotation because if you look at last year the braves in the world series started dylan lee in a game mm-hmm. you know i mean they had they had openers starting a couple of games in big postseason games because they just didn't have the, the rotation depth. Well, right now, they would have a real tough time narrowing it down to four starters. Because you got three. You've got you got Freed, obviously. You got Charlie Morton, who's a great postseason pitcher, has been arguably the best one of the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Kyle Wright, who's been great all year. And then you got Ian Anderson, who's been statistically, who's had a five ERA this year, but who has the best postseason results uh, ERA-wise 
over the last two years for the Braves. ERA under he's he's not lost in the postseason. He's like four and zero with a one something ERA in a postseason or a two ERA. Um, but that's going like five innings and in some most games that kind of thing. But he's been great in the postseason. But the guy you're going to see tonight, the rookie, if he keeps going like this, it'd be really hard to leave him out of the postseason rotation. Spencer Strider mm-hmm. with a hundred and one mile an hour fastball. You know that if he had the innings right now, Strider would lead the majors in, in uh, qualified starters in strikeouts per nine innings, like thirteen and a half. He would lead the majors. He he is gas, man, and he's got a slider and a changeup too that he can use it. But shit, he can throw nine out of ten fastballs and high heat that guys just cannot get up, catch up to. So what? the rotation is a lot better than it was going into the postseason last year. Yeah, I mean that's that. And I wonder if that makes the Braves a sneaky favorite that maybe gets more attention. Yeah, I mean, they, and they could move Strider to the bullpen too. He has where he was in the first month of the season, and he has that Josh Hader, the role that Hader had early in his career where he'd go multi-innings. That's what Strider was doing, multi-inning, high leverage. Uh, that's a great weapon that so few teams have. But uh, if they want to conserve his innings down the stretch, you know, after because he only pitched 96 last year, 96 innings. That was, you know, first pro year. So, so that's uh, he's going to be up around 130, 40 if he goes uh, to the postseason in the rotation this year. So, but he's shown no signs of fatigue so far. So we'll see. But that's um, it's a rotation that if they're all healthy would give them a chance to win every postseason game. So I do like that about him. And the bullpen will be um, while it's not as deep as last year. That we know that's not as important in a postseason where you get days off. So I want to close here with this last question then. And I'm fascinated by it because partially arrived at the World Series last year with the Cardinals having fired a manager who had spent his life in that organization and hired a new one who was also homegrown, um, but not as long in the organization. What place or role has Snicker played in this? He's a guy who has given his life to Atlanta's organization in a lot of ways represents what they want to be and holding them to uh, traditions. Um, but his ability to blend with the modern game, modern player, all that stuff seems invaluable. Huge. Um, I don't think it can be overstated how important he has been to the Braves turning everything around. He replaces a fired Freddie Gonzalez in May 2016 with the full intention of this is a bone we're throwing a Braves lifer who got unfairly uh, scapegoated a couple of years before that when Frank Wren just wanted to bump somebody off the coaching staff after a disappointing season. So he, he, uh, set, he, uh, he dropped Snitker from third base coach. He had been Bobby Cox's third base coach. Yeah. He dropped him to triple a manager back to where he had been for decades, back to the minors and Snit thought that's it. I might not ever get back to the majors. And he was pissed. And Snit said, you know, if I hadn't been in this organization forever, I would have left, but I was a lifer. I'm not leaving this organization. But he was pissed, man, because he knew he was getting scapegoated. Well, he comes back up as the interim guy. They're going to let him manage the rest of the year, just kind of keep it from going completely off the rails. And the team responded to him. It was full of a bunch of young guys that had played for him in the minors that immediately were, were so happy that he replaced Freddie. They didn't want to see Freddie fired, but when he did, this was the guy that they would have all handpicked to do it. They responded. They've ended the season playing some good baseball. And instead of, of, uh, of hiring somebody new after that season, they listened, the, the front office listened to the players 
and removed the thing, gave him a one-year deal with an option, let him come back, see what he could do with the team for a full year. And they played, they played, they, they played inspired ball under the next year. They still didn't have a great team. They were still rebuilding, but he was going to get fired after the end of the next year, just because they were going to change and bring in an experienced guy, um, mm-hmm. Bud Black or, or hire Wash, you know, and again, they listened to the front office, listened to him, listened to the players, but more importantly, they wanted some continuity. And that was when, uh, that was when Coppola and John Hart were involved mm-hmm. in the scandal, the MLB investigation into international right. free agent, uh, all kind of malfeasance. So they wanted some, he kind of got lucky because they wanted some continuity. They didn't want to fire the manager at the same time that the GM had, had been forced to resign and suspended for life. So they kept Snit for another year. Again, it was only going to be a few years. Well, then they really responded. They brought Alex Anthopoulos in to be GM from the Dodgers. And that next year, they've won it every year. They've won the division every year since Alex has been here. He's been mm-hmm. tremendous as, as a GM, president of baseball ops. He's, he's, he really is tremendous. And he, and he so values both the scouting perspective and the analytical perspective. And he's a great mix. And that's what Snit is. And he and Snit, Alex is young enough to be his son. And they have a great relationship, man. They really do. And I think that's really important. Bobby, you know, but sparred, butted heads with Frank Wren so often down the stretch and at the end of Bobby's career. And I think Bobby would have probably lasted a few more years without, if that hadn't been there. Mm. Frank's got a great relationship with his GM and, or or, uh, rather Snit does. And Snit has been, He's been the perfect guy for a team that has had so many young players along with a lot of veteran leader, good chemistry guys, because Snit is a, is a former minor leaguer catch minor league catcher. And as we know, so many catchers have made the best managers, you know, cause they, from, from what they've told me, guys have said, it's the only guy that sees the entire game right in front of him, sees it unfold. So they have a better understanding of the whole game than the typical position player or pitcher does. Um, and as a, as a failed player in that he didn't get to the majors or even to triple a, he, he's also one of those guys that understands how hard the game is. So he respects the players and the players love that he respects them and never asks them do to do anything or gets angry over them, you know, striking out with the bases loaded and two out or eight. Cause he knows how hard the game is. And he never throws guys under the bus like Bobby Cox never did. He, he handles stuff behind closed doors. Um, he, he learned at Bobby's knee a, a hell of a lot about handling a clubhouse. And he is a master at handling a clubhouse. Guys want to run through a wall for him, you know. So when, so when you're not over 500 until August, you're still going out there. They're playing the same way every day. They're still playing and having fun. And he lets them have fun, too. He's a, he's a lot more relaxed than Bobby was as far as club and all that. <laughs> Yeah, some blast music in the clubhouse stuff that Snit rolls his eyes and said, I can't even believe I do that. But he knows the game has changed. He lets Ronald Acuna be himself out there. Those are a lot of things Bobby Cox would have never allowed. But Snit knows you're banging your head against the wall um, and cutting your nose off to spite your face if you're going to stick to old school rules in the, with them as much as the game has changed. And he's just found that great mix of uh, – playing the game the right way, trying not mm-hmm. to disrespect your opponent, but letting the guys have fun and the freedom to do some silly shit out there. And uh, as a result, you see a team that really likes each other. And Alex, is, as like I said, has brought in guys that get along. He hasn't brought in any bad apples. Yeah. So it's just been a great mix. And that's the manager 
to have at the front. And he really has surrounded himself with one of the best coaching staffs, if not the best in majors, and delegates authority and doesn't feel threatened by having all these former major leaguers as his coaches. Guys like Ron Washington, who's unbelievable, you know, as an instant coach and inspire motivator of men. Uh, And Walt Weiss has been a great bench coach since getting fired or or resigning, forced to resign with the Rockies. He came Mm -hmm. over here and he's been Snit's bench coach. Uh, Tremendous. Uh, Seitzer, Kevin Seitzer, one of the best hitting coaches in baseball. So he's got a bunch of great coaches that have helped him be able to do his thing. It so seems like, like you described at the very beginning, that Alex is willing to go out and get pieces that he thinks makes for a good clubhouse, that he thinks makes for a good coaching staff, that he yep. thinks fits together, and willing to get many pieces because he can trust that he has the manager who knows how yep. to put them together to pay, to create a picture. Yeah, they are they are a great t- tandem. It'll be hard to replicate when uh, if one of them leaves. Well, Dob from KU. Thank you so much for taking this time, man. It's been a pleasure talking with you about the Braves, just about how they came to be last season. You and got how they it, man. That's the longest I'm willing to talk to a Mizzou graduate. Wow. Unless it's Max Scherzer. Unless it's Max Scherzer. Then you would spend three hours watching him pitch and three more hours talking to him about it, right? Maybe so, if he didn't bring up Mizzou. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Rock chalk. Oh, no. We're not doing that. I'm editing that out. <laughs> Done. Gone. M-I-Z. I'll see you later, man. The best podcast in baseball is a production of stltoday.com, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Please rate and review. Rate and review the podcast. I learn a lot from the reviews on there. I check them out just to see if the podcast is headed in the direction the community expects. Um, This podcast in its 10th year would not exist if not for the interest that the listeners have shown and the direction and opinion that the listeners have shown. Subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, you can find all of the Constant Cardinals coverage from Rick Hummel, Ben Fredrickson, Benjamin Hockman, and the Pinch Hits crew at stltoday.com and STL Pinch Hits. That's also where you can find Daniel Guerrero's Minor League podcast. It's available only on STL Pinch Hits. So look for that there. He gives you a weekly update on what's going on in the Cardinals minor league system. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design. For the best podcast in baseball and stltoday.com, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon.